You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So I am really excited about this week's show, which is all about blood sugar, which we need as active women, but we also don't want it to be too high because it can damage our blood vessels and is bad for our health. I started getting blood work done as part of my athletic journey way back in like 2011 before I raced the Cape Epic in South Africa. I did a series of blood draws with Inside Tracker in 2014 when I was preparing to ride the tour of California with Goo and have continued to monitor it ever since. And despite the fact that I train 10 to 20 hours a week, lift weights, and have always been conscious of what I've eaten and have tried all sorts of nutrition trends over the past 10 years, including low carb, I have always had borderline high fasting blood sugar. Though my A1C levels, which measure the average blood sugar, have been mostly fine. And I am not alone. In a recent Inside Tracker blog post, they reported that only 23% of their users, which you know are an active lot, have optimized blood glucose levels. And as we've talked about on the show, insulin resistance and carb sensitivity can increase during the menopause transition. So last year, I started testing continuous glucose monitors, also known as CGMs, and that gave me some deeper insights into what impacted my blood sugar levels, including stress, sleep, the timing of my meals, and importantly, how I ate my meals, whether I was relaxed or sitting here typing away, shoveling food in my face, working on a deadline. So I really wanted to sit down with someone and just dive in on glucose, insulin, carbohydrates, and active menopausal women. And I'm really happy to have found this week's guest, Molly Downey, for the job. Molly is a licensed and registered dietitian nutritionist who specializes in glucose control, metabolism, and weight loss. She is also the nutrition manager at NutriSense, which you all know is a sponsor of the show. This is not a paid promotional podcast placement, but we do talk a bit about how CGMs work and what they can tell you. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure you will too. Okay, before we get to it, quick reminder that you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have our private Hip Play Not Pause Facebook group, which you can come in and join conversations day and night on everything under the sun. Trust me, everything under the sun. If you have ideas for shows, hit me up at hitplaynotpause at liftfeisty.com. If you like the show, kindly subscribe and share it with your friends on your socials. It helps us to grow and to keep bringing you great guests. Okay, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. 
and they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, 
plus even more cutting edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. All right, Molly, I am I have been actually looking forward to this conversation for weeks since we since we set it up, because this is uh, with especially with continuous glucose monitoring becoming more mainstream and you're seeing it on ads during football games. Yeah, I think uh, that you sponsor NutriSense sponsors the show. People have a lot of questions, right? They have a lot of questions. And, you know, I just, I want to start by talking about glucose and insulin. You know, our audience is extremely active. We have lots of triathletes and cyclists and ultra runners and CrossFit athletes. And so I think they're pretty knowledgeable, but there's still so much confusion about carbohydrates in general. Um, So can we give a quick sketch of what happens when we eat carbohydrates sort of around exercise and then what happens when we eat them outside of exercise? Yeah. So I think having an understanding of how we're processing carbohydrates and what's going on physiologically within the body is important for understanding how all this is regulated. So essentially when we eat something, you know, a carbohydrate rich food, such as a banana, for example, What's happening is we are digesting it and it then is absorbed into our bloodstream. So as it's infiltrating, we have this, this spike in glucose and this is a normal in response where, you know, it's, it's, it's how the body's processing it in response to that increase in glucose we then see a release of insulin. So it is a hormone that allows for that glucose to enter into the cell and then be utilized as energy. So it essentially acts as that lock and key. So insulin locks onto the cell, glucose is allowed to enter in. Once that happens, then the glucose in the bloodstream then comes back down. So that is a normal process to, to what's going on when we are eating specific foods. The nuance is that everyone has different responses to foods and carbohydrates. So where I might eat a banana and you might eat a banana, we may have two completely different responses based on our, you know, lifestyle, our background, our health history, our genetics. So it's truly dependent on so many different variables. So with testing with the CGM or the continuous glucose monitor, you're able to see how you're responding to, to foods and you can, it's, it's more personalized in that sense where, right. We hear so much information out there. You should not eat this. You should eat this. And it allows for us to make more defined decisions on what's best for us. When we're looking at a glucose response, what happens, and I think it's, it's 
helpful. I don't know if your members or your your listeners fully understand like what the continuous glucose monitor is. So I can kind of dive into what that means, but essentially you, you link up the CGM onto the back of your arm and it continuously picks up on your glucose levels for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a 14 day period. This is different than say a glucose meter, something that you can get at the drugstore where you're just doing that finger prick and that's just one single snapshot in time, but you're missing out on so much great information in how you're actually responding. So you'll see all the data represented in the app that, you know, NutriSense has, and you see it in graph form. So you can see all the fluctuations in glucose. So again, back with that banana example, if you do eat something that's higher in carbohydrate or you have a meal it's normal to have that response, as I was saying, but the idea is that we want to have more controlled and optimized responses. So the, the max threshold that we set our um, expectations for is 140 milligrams per deciliter. So that's just where we're at with current research. A lot of our members will decrease their, their max level at 120. It's truly dependent on what the, the individual is striving for. But the reason being is if you do have a spike, we want it to stay below that 140 threshold and we want it to come, pa- come back down in a two to three hour period. The reason being is that if you do have a spike beyond that threshold, that is a stressor you know, on the body. Our body's coming in and trying to respond and bring that glucose back to, to regular ranges so that everything's kind of back in place when you're in those higher ranges for an extended period of time, you are increasing that susceptibility to inflammation, to oxidative stress, to, you know, it's just a stressor on the body being in those higher ranges that can further promote, you know, more issues down the road. So it's something that we want to stay away from. And when, you know, when your glucose levels do come back down sooner, um, you know, this is, you know, great to see that your body's able to adapt to that response with, Exercise, for example, as, as you mentioned, we, you'll see a lot of cool things with exercise. So muscle pulls glucose into the cell too, right? Aren't there two mechanisms just to lay that groundwork? Yeah. So glucose does pull, uh, I mean, the muscles do pull the glucose into the cell. So when you are exercising, for example, you, you're essentially, your body is is metabolically stressed in that, in that moment. Cause you're, you're trying to hype up all the energy in order to fuel that, that workout. And we'll see in glucose data that there is with higher intensity exercises with some people that there is actually a spike in glucose, but this is it. I'm, I don't know if you've, if you've seen this in, oh, in- I've, oh, I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of uh, race mountain bike gravel racing and stuff. I've seen, yes, I've seen those spikes. Like yeah. you can see where I'm going up a hill because the, the graph, like my glucose just shoots up to like get me up the hill, you know, yeah. and then you can see it go back down. It's really interesting. Yeah. So we don't, we don't perceive this as a bad thing. It's a, it's a normal response as our body is tapping in to produce that glucose in order to fuel, fuel that workout. So you see that spike, we just want to keep it within, within uh, manageable ranges as well. So usually my max for exercise spikes is 180 milligrams per deciliter. So 
beyond that can potentially promote more stressors on the body. So you. Can I just weigh in there a little bit only because I spent a year with all of these, including the super sapiens as, as you know, which is not available in the U S but when I was interviewing like a lot of the tour riders and the bike racers, a lot of us go into the 200 range. And I don't know if that's bad, you know, but like everybody there was very surprised how high they were seeing in athletes that were doing that. Yeah. Um, And it, it truly depends on, you know, the person, but with a super high intensity exercise, you know, it makes sense that your, your glucose is spiking. So my thoughts, when I do see these higher spikes, I, because everyone is so individualized and you really want to experiment and try out what works for you and you can do it while wearing the CGM, but Mm -hmm. I play around with hydration, what you're eating before. So some people, you know, not, you know, elite athletes, like as, as you're discussing, but just the, the lay person is going to be able to, you know, if they're working out in a fasted state versus if there's carbon protein involved, how much the quantity that can help in actually, if you are fueling beforehand, how are you, you tolerating that exercise and, and seeing the response as well. So it depends on the situation. And I just like to kind of play around with it and, and see what happens. But sometimes it's, if, you know, say you're, in a fasted state and you're doing a super high intensity exercise, maybe it's just too much stress on the body and you need that fuel. We don't recommend that. (laughs) We, we don't recommend it on this show for many, many reasons, because, um, you know, our athletes tend to be more on the scale of maybe low energy availability sometimes. And and to your point, like it is stressful and it's, it's not, I have seen that personally. It messes with my blood sugar in bad ways yeah, in not good ways. And especially for, you know, your population who's, who's doing these extended workouts that are higher intensity definitely need that fuel beforehand to, to fuel that workout into, in order to promote that energy during, during the exercise as well. But as you were saying too, with how, what's happening with exercise as well, um, it's during that, that post-exercise period is we are better, we're better able to tolerate carbohydrates at this time. We see it all across the board, but we have, um, a better insulin sensitivity at this time. So even in like the two hour period, you know, consuming carbohydrate, you're probably going to have a a better, more optimal response than if you are eating that carbohydrate outside of that, that post-workout zone. So it's a great time to consume your carbohydrate. And of course, with higher intensity endurance workouts, we, we need that, that refueling and the carbohydrates to, you know, in order to avoid, you know, any sort of metabolic stress down the road. Yeah, no, I think that, I think to, to put that in sort of lay, lay plain language for what we need to do as athletes and athletic people, um, is, is a lot of what we've been talking about is fueling around your activity, because that is when your body is primed to use that. And, you know, as, as opposed to loading up super at, at some point in the day, and then going into your workout on a low state, you know, I mean, it's better to fuel around that yeah, that activity, right. To have that not only for a better workout, but to have a better metabolic response all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about um, how hormones 
interplay with insulin and glucose because this audience is largely through the menopause transition somewhere in there, you know, either perimenopause or postmenopause. And we do see like this carb sensitivity and this insulin resistance starting to rise a bit. And what's happening there? Yeah. So with menopause, there is a plummet in estrogen. So typically if you're thinking of the female cycle before, you know, hitting menopause, estrogen is on the rise during the first half of your cycle. Then there's ovulation. Then post-ovulation, progesterone is on the rise. So circling back to what we would see in glucose data, and we see it with, with many women, this is again before menopause, is as progesterone is on the rise, we see a decrease in insulin sensitivity, meaning that we're less able to tolerate carbohydrates leading up to menstruation. So we'll generally see it like a week before. Hmm. So, um, you know, these, these hormones are, are largely impacting, you know, how we're responding back to menopause. When, when we're seeing that plummet, there are a lot of things that are going on within the body. There's a decrease in lean muscle mass. We are starting to see deposition of fat and, you know, visceral fat. So that's abdominal fat that is largely associated with insulin resistance. So to go is into that because of inflammation, do we know why that is? It's there is inflammation involved. Um, and also it's just the, the hormone fluctuations that are occurring that, you know, a lot of the research shows that, that, that central adipose, uh, uh, fat around the abdomen is, is forming. And even if we're looking at metabolic syndrome, um, and anything associated with insulin resistance, that's kind of like the core center of where all of this is beginning. So if you think of, uh, visceral fats, it's fats that's surrounding your organs. So if it's your liver, for example, that's kind of like the powerhouse of where you're starting to process all these things. And, um, if it's, if there's fat accumulation around these things, there's of course going to be some sort of metabolic dysregulation that's occurring. So with how this relates to glucose homeostasis is that with the fat accumulation in, in the abdomen, um, insulin is less able, you know, that the effects of insulin are less effective, meaning that if you thinking back to what I was describing earlier with the physiological mechanism of insulin, allowing for glucose to enter into the cell and be utilized, that process is disrupted. So your body's needed to pump out way more insulin in order to get that glucose into the cell. And insulin is a fat storing anabolic hormone. So the more insulin that we're pushing out, the more difficult it's going to be for us to lose weight. So, um, it's unfortunate that, you know, this is occurring at this time, but, um, it, there's definitely some, some dysregulation that's occurring here. And then in addition to this, as I was saying with, with the decrease in lean muscle mass, this is largely important to how we're, we're processing carbohydrates. The more muscle mass that we have, the more effective we're going to be in, in modulating our glucose levels. So with, with postmenopausal women or women that are going through menopause, cardiovascular training is of, of course important, but we, we strongly, strongly emphasize strength training. So do we. <laughs> yeah. 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 So in, I see this all the time with my, when I'm working with women that are, are, are going through this 
And it's very, very important for increasing that insulin sensitivity and allowing us for, to be able to process those carbohydrates more effectively. So even just starting out with at least, you know, three times a week, just really working on that strength training to build up that muscle is going to allow you to uptake that glucose far more effectively. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's really important on so many levels. Um, What role does age play? So age, just even from what I see in the glucose data, we've seen a lot. There is a decrease in how insulin sensitivity and and how we're able to process the foods that we're eating. So I'll typically see, and again, this is depending on the person. So it's not, you know, a direct correlation always, but there is typically an increase in fasting levels, increase in uh, baseline, um, and how they're actually tolerating their meal responses. So their postprandial post-meal responses are usually, they're usually seeing those higher spikes than, you know, someone who's younger and, you know, there's not any other health issues that are occurring at that time. So age definitely plays a role. So it is again, unfortunate for women who are in that, in that phase of menopause, it's the age plus it's the menopause. So as I was saying, menopause dependent, like independent of age is still going to you mm-hmm. know, have an increase on your, your fasting insulin and your, your baseline and overnight values as well. So I have, a, I have more questions about athletes, but I think I want to stay a bit on, on this because I'm, I'm curious about uh, the role of cortisol and stress. Um, because we, we also know during this sort of menopause phase, you know, their anxiety goes up, the cortisol levels are up. And I'm wondering what the interplay there is. And I, I will say that, you know, during, it was interesting to me during, while wearing these, that I, if something happened that stressed me out, I could see a spike on my, you know, it was like 10 o'clock at night and somebody started a Twitter war with me at some point. And I'm not like, seriously. And I looked at my, I looked at my thing and it was just like a little skyrocket of a spike, you know, I was like, well, that is really telling. Right. Um, so it's, can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. We see stress play out in the glucose data all the time. Again, as you were saying, some people just can actually fully see that acute stress response that's occurring where other people may be stressed out and they might not see that, that response. So what's happening with stress is of course, cortisol and adrenaline is being released, which then stimulates, you know, gluconeogenesis to produce that glucose. So if we think about it from a a historical evolutionary perspective, acute stress was natural and normal and we needed it. So if we were running from a lion, for example, our adrenaline's pumping up, our cortisol is being released in order to, it's kind of similar to exercise in a sense where you're, you're getting that glucose increase again, to fuel your cells. So then you can, you can run and it's that adaptive response with, with modern stressors. It's a little bit different where that, you know, if we're stressed out, for whatever we're dealing with at this time, then we don't necessarily need to go run away from a lion and, you know, we don't need that energy. So that, that energy, that glucose still is being increased because we're stressed because those, those hormones are being released, but there's nowhere for it to go. So then it's Mm -hmm. normal to see higher baseline values 
or it's normal then to see that acute stress response. Whenever I see this in, in glucose data with someone that I'm working with, it is just, you know, stress management is your, your medicine, right? It's not just exercise. It's not just the foods that you're eating. Stress and sleep quality play a role as well. And when we're, we're able to identify different factors in the glucose data that are expressing that you're, you're having more difficulty with stress than really, really building in routine with either breathing techniques, walking, anything, uh, meditation that's going to stimulate and, and calm your body down because we all know that chronic stress can lead to so many adverse health effects, um, especially with athletes. They're, we're, we're constantly trying to modulate that stress because, um, you know, we don't, we, we don't want to overdo it in, in trying to work with that. So stress is, is, I am the biggest advocate for, for doing your best to find something that works for you to do on a consistent basis to help, you know, regulate where your mind's at and work with that. See, I'm glad I asked those questions in this order because I do think it dovetails into my questions about uh, more active athletic populations, especially people who are doing Ironman level stuff, who are doing CrossFit every day, who are doing all that, because, you know, we work with inside tracker as well. And I have been tracking for a long time. And I, you know, I have never not had borderline high fasting levels, even though that my um, HbA1c has is not high, you know, and is that is in a good range. And it's just an inside tracker reports that only 23% of their athletes that they have have optimized glucose levels. And it makes me think, it makes me think like, cause we are really stressing our bodies a lot. We are often very type a, you know, and it's, I think there's something to that. Absolutely. And if you think about it, if you're doing X amount of hours of intense workout per day and not being super diligent about refueling and encouraging the right foods pre post-workout and enough, you know, calorie intake throughout the day, mm. and your body is going to be consistently stressed. So again, when we're working out, as I was saying, your body is, you know, stressing to try to figure out how to provide fuel to what's going on. And everything is kind of breaking down at that point. So in the post-workout period, that is why the refueling is super, super imperative. And especially for going through long bouts of training, ensuring that you're getting that quality meal post-workout is going to help you the next day. It's going to help you, you know, progress into your training every day. Otherwise your body's just going to break down and be consistently stressed out. So, and ironically, your blood sugar may be higher, even though you're not eating like carbs, you know, and that, I think that's a message that needs to get out there. Exactly. So you would think from, you know, a super fit athletic person that they're, they would have optimal glucose levels, but there's, there are, again, it's that stressor that in the cortisol increase that your body's not able to fully recover and recuperate that they're, you know, it's, it's, it's common to see those, those higher fasting levels and, you know, overnight values too. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's good advice. And, and speaking of overnight, like sleep is another, if you're, what happens with glucose while you're sleeping? Like, and, and why, I mean, I understand like why it might be high 
if you're not sleeping well, but like, why is it sometimes elevated at night, even if you are sleeping well? So seeing elevated glucose levels overnight is one of the most common trends that we see, even for someone with very optimal glucose levels, they're generally, their levels are lower during the day and they increase slightly at night. So we'll see different trends all the time, depending on what's going on, but there are so many things that impact this. It's the foods that you eat, you know, before bed, if you fall asleep right after you eat, this is largely impacts your overnight values. Um, sleep, sleep quality is a huge factor in, in your glucose levels. So we'll find that there is a distinct relationship between glucose and sleep. And if our glucose levels are elevated beyond our norm overnight, um, I usually ask the person, you know, how was your sleep quality? Oh, it was not well. I was tossing and turning all night. I had difficulty falling asleep. And we see that displayed through glucose data. And again, it's just a stressor. We, Mm -hmm. you know, sleep is a restorative period of time where our body is just recuperating and trying to restore metabolic processes. and, And it's so imperative to our health and even just hormone levels and how they, they are the next day. So that's why, again, it's, it's that stressor. So then you see that increase in glucose and even in, it leads into the next day with poor sleep. Um, we'll see that, you know, over, you know, that your levels the next day, again, higher baseline, more reactive to foods that are otherwise tolerated well. Um, so it depends on the person, but it just takes more time to, uh, figure out how to replenish all, all that. But we do see the stress impact. What causes the, the dawn phenomenon? Because I absolutely have that. Like it will be okay. And it, then it's just like, I have this like bump up in the morning. And I will say like, I am like an intense morning person. I wake up like ready to light the world on fire. You know, my (laughs) husband's always like, I, can we just take a minute? (laughs) Like it's seven o'clock. Let's, what are we doing today? Um, you know, and I don't know if those two things are related at all, but I know that there is a, you know, and then it goes back down and then it is what it is. But um, what, what causes that morning rise that some people have? Right. So the dawn phenomenon is it typically occurs what I see most people around like four to 8 AM. And what's happening is there's a surge in hormones. So it's, um, you know, cortisol, growth hormones, uh, catecholamines that then again are stimulating glucose production. So you'll see that, that rise in glucose. And for you, I'm wondering if just, since you see it displayed in your glucose state and you are a morning people and you see person and you feel amped up when you do wake up that the adrenaline is probably just rushing you and you, you know, you feel ready to go. I would say not, you can't see it so distinctly with everyone. Some people it's more prominent, I would say. And again, it's not something to be, you know, seriously concerned about it is if it's just a small bump. And then once everything settles, it comes back down. You're, you're usually good to go. Um, but I see it prominently in more of the diabetes population. Like it is crazy. You'll see that, you know, they're not eating anything during that period, or even if they eat a low carb meal before going to bed, they have a well-rested, there is still this massive surge in glucose due to Mm -hmm. on phenomenon. So it most largely impacts them. Um, but again, it comes back down and then levels then regulate throughout the day. So it's very, very interesting to see. 
I will say that the power of a walk, I, I have learned the power of a walk through all yep. this, you know, like walking the dog in the morning, it, everything mellows out after dinner. If things get stressful, you know, no matter, no matter how much I uh, train, you know, purposely train, like I also sit like a fern most of the day behind my computer doing this. And I think, you know, I wonder what the effect is, like, what is the effect of that? Like, because I'm sure a lot of our audience is in that thing. They might go at 5.30 in the morning and swim 7,000 meters and then go for a run. But then here we are, right? Yeah. Like, what what does that do? Um, yeah, walking is... Amazing. I, amazing. And when I started wearing the CGM, I discovered this. Every, everyone who probably has put one on recognizes it immediately. But what happens is it helps to... Say you're, you know, in the morning, if your glucose levels are slightly elevated. So some people might have more elevated levels from overnight. Starting your day off with a walk just helps them dispose of excess glucose. So it brings your levels back down. So you'll see that dip and it, it kind of just sets you up for the day to have more optimal glucose responses. And if you are eating a higher carbohydrate food or a larger meal that you're having more difficulty processing then again, that walk after the meal is so, so imperative. Again, it, the it, evening constitutional, right? Like people yeah. throughout the world have always like gone for a walk after dinner. I think there's yeah. like wisdom. It, it is. It's not like you need to go for some intense, super long walk, 10 minutes mm -mm. around the block with your dog works. So anything to just move your body And this plays into kind of what you're saying with like the, you know, you, you feel like a, a pot of plant all day, just, you know, sitting at your computer on the same way. So it's really getting up and moving your body throughout the day is so, so important. So it's kind of like the intermittent movements. We have had people test out experiments where they're sitting at their desk versus even standing in their baseline glucose levels go down. So intermittent movement. And, you know, even if you're able to just get up and do some squats or, you know, some jumping jacks, something to, to keep your body moving. So it's not so much that it's, you know, if, if someone's doing more intense workouts, it's just during that period of time and the rest of the day, they're kind of not moving. So it, it is important to constantly be moving throughout the day. Yeah, no, I, I, I it, it, it did very much emphasize that. And I, I, like I said, I can't emphasize and you, you did too, the importance of that, of walking, of just like natural movement, you know, non-exercise activity thermogenesis of it. <laughs> like uh, I've written whole features on NEAT and it, we, we don't have much in our world anymore, especially yeah. since everything is automated. And I think that's what well, I know. It's not metabolically healthy for us. Yeah, exactly. Walking is the simplest tool that everyone can, you know, begin to integrate into their day. So, so I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, specific eating strategies and, and, and thoughts on like some of the nitty gritty around what we take in and how we take in that food. Yeah. Um, can, before we set the stage or go down that road a little further, can you talk a little, cause we haven't talked about fiber at all. And I think that's probably really important, you know, like let's talk about types of carbohydrates and far as far as how they affect that insulin response. Yeah. So the type of carbohydrate that you're consuming is definitely important. So Again, there will be those lucky individuals who can consume higher carbohydrates, like even processed carbs and like still a Twinkie. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't you barely even see a response from it's, it's wild, but for the most part, most people have 
you know, poor responses to foods like a Twinkie or something that's highly processed in, in carbohydrates. So, I mean, and of course, in general, we want to avoid these, these foods because it's not just impacting glucose, but it's, it's, it's promoting inflammation and, you know, gut issues as well that can be destructive. So there's so many other components of that, but the idea is if you're consuming like a Coke or something, or like a Gatorade, that's a, that's pure sugar. That is just an influx of mass amounts of sugar coming into the body at once your, your body is going to pump out insulin in order to get that glucose then into the cell. Typically you'll see like a super high spike. Again, we don't want to see those swings. So you can jump, you know, generally we only, the optimal jump is like 30 points and staying below that 50 is decent, but going beyond that is more detrimental. And again, the more, you know, space in between that spike, the more stressed out your body is going to be. So if it gives you energy at mile 17 of a marathon, don't eat it on your couch, maybe, (laughs) (laughs) or, or, you know, like just reserve it for very special occasions. Right. I mean, exactly. And and during, you know, intense endurance exercise, that's a different story. Totally. But, 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 I like when you drink a Coke and you're just sitting around, my God, it's like, Yeah. Yeah. And you think of it too, from the nutrient makeup of a natural food. So there's a difference in drinking a Coke, which is highly processed. There's nothing else to it. And you're going to see a high response, but if you are eating something that, you know, is fibrous and has other nutritional components to it, in addition protein and fat, yeah, then our bodies are going to be, be able to process it more effectively. So fiber, protein, fat, they all help modulate that glucose response. So fat helps to delay the, how it's, how it's being processed. Protein usually blunts the glucose response and then fiber, fiber is integrated in that as well. So if you think about it, the, the food was naturally comprised in that fashion for a reason. It's for our body to tolerate. And then of course, modern day uh, innovation came in and, you know, extracted the sugar straight from that natural component And there. Again, there's a reason why all those things are, are in combination together. So it's not just with whole natural food sources. It's also how we're pairing our meals. So I always work with meal sequencing and what I do is I'll eat protein, you know, fat fiber first before my carbohydrates. So I would say, you know, after, you know, an intense endurance workout, for example, you're, you know, consuming quality protein to help, you know, stimulate that muscle protein synthesis is imperative, uh, fiber and, you know, fresh veggies and anything that's going, you know, that are, are, pack filled of antioxidants are, are going to help kind of counteract that stress, um, healthy fats, like avocado, um, eating those foods first. And then, you know, say you eat, you know, a portion of a complex carb, like sweet potato, for example, when you eat that last, your body is going to be able to process it more effectively. So it's fun to kind of test out on the CGM and see if you, you know, eat the sweet potato first, and then kind of follow it backwards. Like what's the difference in response than if you eat the protein first. So it's that slight little tweak. That's really not too difficult to implement that, that makes such a profound impact on, on how you're responding to the food. So it's definitely important. 
Yeah, it really does. And it, and it made me question like, why do they give you the bread basket first? <laughs> you know, when you sit down at yeah. the restaurant. Because... Yeah. Oh, unfortunate. That's why it's always, I always try to order high protein appetizer because, right. you know, you got something coming in and you let that digest. You usually don't get your meal 10, 15 minutes later and you're able to process it far more effectively. So. Yeah. hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, along those lines, uh, is there a rhythm to the day as far as like, you know, I mean, we, we talked a little bit, we hinted a little bit about like what you eat before bed and how close you eat. Like what is, is there a composition of how your breakfast and your lunch and your dinner and, and how, how those are timed that can kind of help also modulate, you know, and create a good, healthy glucose response. Yeah. So meal timing is super important and, we're more tolerant of carbohydrates earlier in the day rather than later on at night. So again, when the darkness sets in, there is a decrease in, in insulin sensitivity and we're, we're less able to t- process carbohydrates at this time. Again, it's one of the most common trends that I'll see. You might be able to eat that sweet potato earlier in the day than, and, and have much more difficulty processing it later at night. So, um, it's more, if, if sweet potato is something that you want to implement into your diet, it's more about being strategic about how you do so. So that would be consuming it after a workout, hopefully earlier in the day rather than later, um, pairing it with protein so that you're able to tolerate it better. Um, and just kind of working and even going for a walk after the meal. So all these, these different mechanisms can, or these, these methods can help in, in how we're actually tolerating it. So yeah, timing in, is, is super important. And I know, um, some people do like intermittent fasting, for example, and with that, you know, especially with athletes, you, you want to be extra diligent. If you are doing that, that you are ensuring that you're getting quality nutrition and enough fuel during your feeding period. Um, again, like if your body's we're trying to reduce that stress, then being very cognizant if in, in ensuring that you're getting enough meal, um, you know, meals and, and food quality is so, so important. Um, you know, for a normal, you know, healthy individual, non-athlete, they're probably going to be fine with just, you know, some sort of intermittent fasting, but with an athlete, definitely being more cognizant in, ensuring that you're able to get in the fuel throughout the day. Otherwise it might not be, you know, the best option, but it's just, again, dependent on the person. Yeah. Again, we don't, <laughs> we don't, we do really just generally don't recommend it. Like yeah. get, get your sleep, try not to eat two hours before bed, you know, is, is yeah. kind of what, what we say and, and make sure you, that you fuel your workouts. Yeah. You definitely need more energy and I can't imagine trying to get it in, in you know, a short period of time. It just, and it feels like your glucose would then be just increased for that, that period of right. time. It just wouldn't make sense either. So just, you know, ensuring you're getting quality, quality meals. for sure. Is there a benefit to eating full meals over the idea of grazing? I'm mean, grazing was remember grazing. I don't know if you, yeah. Like, yeah. grazing was a thing for a while. And I, I never thought it was like the greatest idea. Um, how is, how does that work out with blood sugar response? Yeah. So again, if you think back to the physiology, what's happening every time we're eating something is 
you know, glucose is increasing and then also, uh, insulin is being released. So with, if we're consistently eating, you know, every couple hours throughout the day, then our body, you know, may not have that time to kind of relax and come back down to baseline. And then that insulin, which again, is that fat storing anabolic hormone is just consistently being activated. Um, so the idea of having less frequent meals, so just maybe, you know, three full quality meals in your day, you know, you're just releasing that insulin during those, those three times instead of like consistently throughout the day. So it can, it can help. So you eat that meal, have your response. You're able to come back down. You eat the next meal, come, you know, go up and come back down. And again, I, I do have people that struggle more with hypoglycemia that actually eating more frequently works better for them. So, you know, it's not definitive that, you know, one option over the other is, is better. I just like to address how the person is feeling and what's going on and decide from there. But for the most part, there's no sort of underlying issue going on. I would say, you know, less frequent, more full, full meals a day is going to be more optimal. So you're not consistently, you know, releasing that insulin and having those higher glucose responses. Right. Great. Great. And then before we leave the, this piece, I'd like, I'd love to talk a little bit about how and how we eat as a, as well as what we eat, because that was really eye-opening for me too, is that I would be chilling out on a Friday, you know, just totally zen, eating whatever and thinking, oh, I wonder what this is doing. And my response was just like, oh, it's not bad at all. As opposed to like, sometimes I would be like at my desk, you know, frantically doing whatever, eating something that should not, that normally would not have that response. And I, I would be seeing a much larger um, glucose response. And I think that just circles back to the stress piece, but uh, you know, my year of doing this, I was like, this is actually the French paradox. Like we, we always talk about that. Like, how can they eat the croissants or blah, blah. I'm like, because they're just chilling out, looking at the sunrise, you know, like it's, I think there's something to that too. Absolutely. And your mindset is huge on how we're able to process food. So if you think about it, like if you're going into eating a meal and you're like, thinking of everything, you know, you're having negative thoughts, then your body responds to that. And, you know, that's a stressor and you're not going to be able to uh, process it, you know, as effectively, but if you're sitting there hanging out with friends, not stressed out, not thinking about it, just enjoying yourself, then yeah, you're, you're most likely going to have a more optimal response. And, you know, even, people that I've seen had people do like breathing techniques before mm -hmm. eating, it really like resets the system and allows it to, you know, food to enter in and, and be processed. But you know, that is helpful. I That's see. Yeah. The whole like driving, eating, sitting at your desk, eating, <laughs> shoving Taco Bell into your mouth as you're yeah. going down the highway. <laughs> We're all guilty of it at some point in our life, yeah. but it it's incredible that, you know, what actually happens there. And when we are stressed or not actually sitting down to enjoy your meal and, and it, it totally impacts how we're processing it. And it goes back to, you know, eating as a family, you know, sitting down, okay. night, eating as a family that, you know, you're sitting there, you're having a great conversation, you're enjoying your company, you're happy, you're, you know, indulging in these foods. And, you know, that's how, again, we, 
hopefully we're evolved to, to process these meals. So. Excellent. Excellent. So I'd like to talk um, lastly about supplements because we hear an awful lot about a lot, you know, all of these external things. So let's talk about cinnamon right out of the gate because that gets a lot of airplay for years. And I'm wondering like, is there anything to it? Cinnamon is definitely has gotten a lot of attention and research with blood glucose regulation. And I can say that I have never actually seen like super defining whoa experiments <laughs> in the glucose data with cinnamon. It's not to say that cinnamon isn't a great, you know, addition to add to your foods. Like it's a natural, you know, great spice. So the other thought is oh, maybe it's because they're, you know, eating it in combination with higher carbo food, carbohydrate foods, like oatmeal or something like that. But I think it's a great thing to add into your diet. I've just never seen super defined uh, responses in, in, you know, differences in, in how you're actually responding to it with cinnamon. But I, I, I'm not, I, I still do promote, you know, it, it's a great addition to your diet. However, I've seen such great effects from apple cider vinegar. Really? Because that has been around forever too. Yeah. And like, you've heard that forever, but I really, I've done experiments on myself. I've had a lot of people that I've worked with. They've done a lot of experiments as well. And it's, it's consuming it. I usually just do like two tablespoons with water and a little squeeze of lemon, drink it about like 15 minutes before I eat a higher carbohydrate meal. And it helps to blunt that response. So, and I've, I've seen, I've had one of my members do an experiment with the capsules too. The capsules don't work at all. So any sort of <laughs> ACV vitamin, it does nothing. It, cause they've like done like a control versus the ACV supplement versus the actual ACV before. And you can see the complete difference with the ACV. So, you know, getting an I know ACV being apple cider vinegar. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's definitely some people are like, I cannot imagine drinking this. They just don't like the taste. Um, I like it. So I enjoy drinking it. Um, but I think it's a great thing to have pre-meal um, in order to kind of blunt that response. If you know, you're, you're having a higher carbohydrate meal, it can be helpful. So would it also work on your meal? Like people putting it on, you know, whatever food they're, they're eating. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, a lot of people boardwalk yeah, French fries, something that's, <laughs> probably something that's more, not as, you know, it's more appealing if you, you just put it out on like a salad or something. So say right. you like a fresh salad with ACV, lemon juice, eat that before your meal, same effect. So that's, and plus the fiber in addition to that should be an effective little, you know, strategy that you can work with, um, with other supplements, ACV is what probiotics? I probiotics. So it, so that just, you know, is focusing on the gut and, and how we're actually, you know, processing carbohydrates and, and it's, it's helpful in rebuilding the barrier of our gut, um, in people with gut dysbiosis can then have impaired glucose tolerance. So, you know, I would encourage anything that's going to rebuild your gut because there's so many things in modern day <laughs> that are going to be disruptive. That's the stress that's um, the anxiety that's, you know, the poor foods that we're eating. So, uh, it's, it's harder to, again, form 
you know, direct correlation and be like, oh, it's because you started taking that probiotic that, you know, now we're seeing your levels. There's so many variables going on, but I know that there are, you know, there is research displaying that the, the use of probiotics is going to replenish your gut and allow you to then more effectively, you know, process and have be- better glucose uh, homeostasis. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I personally think that it, it's more worthwhile just to get those from food too, because you don't know, I mean, when you're taking pills, what's in it and what do you need and what don't you need? Like, I mean, I, I don't know, just taking regular, yeah. like really yogurt or. Yeah. You know, there's so many different yeah. strains and there's so many different, you know, sources out there, but yeah, always food first is going to be, if, you know, if you supplement probiotic on top of your food, like that's, great way to go. Um, but you know, sauerkraut, uh, cottage cheese, yogurt, you know, pickles, anything that's fermented is going to be great for that. So yeah, I, I encourage mostly everyone to try to incorporate, incorporate those fermented foods into your diet to help proliferate the, the gut bacteria. So. Excellent. Yeah. So is there anything that we haven't covered that, that you think would be important for this audience to know about? any of this, whether it's monitoring or blood glucose management, it's been a great, great discussion. Yeah. I think we covered a lot of great, you know, topics, but I think just testing one out on your own and and seeing how you respond. Um, I, I became so interested in this because I started testing out my blood sugar and I, I grew up very active. I always was playing sports growing up. I was a runner. Um, and I started testing my blood sugar levels and I was finding that I was having poor responses to the different foods that I was eating. So, and this was just mind blowing to me that if this is going on in in my body, who's someone who perceivably active eats well, um, and young at that point too. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, what is going on? Cause you know, everything you're learning in school, is like high blood sugar levels associated with diabetic or prediabetes. So I was just confused and trying to figure everything out, but now it just is far more comprehensive to me. And now I understand, you know, my body's and I was having, you know, hormone dysregulation at that, that time, which was promoting those, those poor responses. But I think you can gain value from, from seeing how your personal body is responding to all the different variables that we we're talking about. We we're talking about stress. We we're talking about sleep, exercise, you know, everyone responds differently to food. So it's worth just experimenting at some point. And if you, if you never try out the CGM, just working with some of the tips that we were talking about, you know, you don't need to try the CGM to actually start applying these tips. It's protein first, walking after your meals, meal timing, eating earlier in the day, trying to avoid mass amounts of carbohydrate right before bed and falling asleep, um, <laughs> ensuring that you're, you're moving throughout the day, you know, not just sitting, working at our desk all day, but you know, a lot of people have, have grown accustomed to. So it's really getting in that movement, um, focusing on managing your stress. There's so many different variables that you can see exemplified through this, then of course plays out in, in the long run in, in your overall health and longevity. So Oh, a hundred percent. And, and even, you know, when people ask me about them, like, I personally think it's worthwhile to do it just for a bit because it's just, you know, you don't need to have one on your arm for the rest of your existence, you know I mean? But it is, it is just a really interesting insight that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily get unless you're feeling like wild swings, but like, 
it was it was very eye opening. Like I said, the, all the things, just like all the little things I learned that to adjust um, my behaviors to, uh, you know, to just be a bit healthier. Exactly. And yeah, you don't need to have one on at all times. You know, they only last 14 days. So you can just try one at a time. Um, but I learned something new every time I place one. So it's, it's, it's still great to do it intermittently. You know, even if you do put one on and you're like, wow, my, my glucose is awesome. That's awesome. You know, that's encouraging. <laughs> no, um, you know, then you can continue to test periodically, you know, then right. throughout your life to just stay on track and then knowing, okay, this year I tested my glucose out and, you know, everything was looking good. And then what happens a year from now? Oh, did, you know, were there any changes that occurred? And, you know, now perhaps are you having more intense glucose spikes or your fasting levels are, are they increasing? So just that periodic, uh, tracking as well can be effective. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, um, you know, for helping us like manage something that is just such a, uh, such an area of great confusion, you know, yeah. a, definitely even with a, like I said, with an active audience, there's, there's so much, wow. You just go on the internet and everything is really in, crazy. Right. You know, I, yeah, I think it, it really yeah. helps to bring it all sort of just boil it all down and distill it. And it goes back to just I like to call it just sort of ancient wisdom because it is just sort of ancient wisdom. All this stuff is. Totally. It is just become so far gone from that. And again, it's just tapping back into just like that intuitive thought, just how our bodies evolved and and working with that and working in synchronization with how our bodies want to be fueled and and everything. So yeah, it was, it was awesome talking to you and I really enjoyed this conversation. Okay, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with Dr. Julie Gallagher, who is an honorary research fellow at UCL Eastman Dental Institute Center for Oral Health and Performance. We talk all about high-performance dental hygiene during the menopause transition. And if you're like me, some of her advice will seriously blow your mind. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.